This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome to Tuesday's episode, but more importantly, welcome to 2023. I hope everybody had a lovely holiday, a lovely new year. I don't know how it is where you're living, but our children do not go back to school till January 9th. I was like, what am I supposed to do with my own child for that long? Like, what am I supposed to do? So as you're listening to this, I may still be at my parents' place up north to play in the snow, drink hot chocolate, roast marshmallows, all those kinds of things. I don't know when I'll return home. It depends. I tried to get my dad to build a sauna before my arrival. He did not. So that might play into how long I stay, but we'll see. Also the weather, you know, like, The weather will decide when you're allowed to drive home sometimes. I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. Do you know how many times you have all sent me this man's reels or TikToks? It's truly unbelievable. Every time, like literally every fifth time I open a DM, it is a reel or a TikTok from Michael that somebody has sent me. And I'm like, I know guys, I know. I have been following him on TikTok for a long time. His name is World Shaker. He talks a lot about the division of labor in the home parenting, default parenting, all the things, respecting stay-at-home parents. His content is incredible. So obviously I had to have him on the podcast and this was his first ever podcast episode. So I am honored that it was on the Mom Room podcast. We talked all about Fair Play, Eve Rodsky's book, how he and his wife went through the book, incorporated the Fair Play method in their home. We also talk about the rise of sharenting. I had never heard that term before, but it's basically, you know, we live in this generation where everybody shares everything about their kids and their family life online. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk about internet trolls. Michael is often, you know, responding to trolls on my own content, which is lovely. I love when I see that. We also chat about vasectomies. He got a vasectomy back in July and we just kind of, you know, dive into what that process was like. So without further ado, it is so lovely to kick off 2023 with this wonderful episode with Michael A. Vaughn. Enjoy. All right, Michael, it is so nice to have you on. I feel like I already know you because I see you on TikTok and Instagram all the time. So it's funny because whenever I meet people, like meet people virtually, it's like, oh, yeah, I already know him. Like it's not, you know, but we've actually never met. So this is lovely to have you on the podcast. I get bombarded with your TikToks all the time. People send them to me in my DMs. It's so funny because I guess we talk a lot about similar topics. To start though, I thought you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and I'm so curious to know how you got started on TikTok and on social media. I live in North Carolina with my partner Kelly and we've got two daughters Eleanor, who's almost three, and Adelaide, who's almost one. And I uh, started with TikTok was 
like a lot of people, it was the pandemic, right? We had our first right before the pandemic hit. It was like six weeks before. And prior to that, I had been doing like a lot of presenting. I would go out, I would present at conferences. People would hire me to do trainings and things like that. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved being in front of a crowd and, and working with an audience and sharing new things and new ideas. And the pandemic hit and it just all stopped. And that was coupled with another big social blow for me, which was I was so excited when I found out we were going to have our first and I wanted to register for like everything. I wanted to read everything. I wanted to watch everything. And one of the classes that I registered for, which I strongly recommend for any new dad, is called Boot Camp for New Dads. It's actually a national program. I, I think they offer it in Canada as well. And I went through that class and it was really interesting the way that they set it up. You, you got to interact with dads who had just become dads. Like they would bring in their kids and they were two, three, four months old. So you actually got to interact with a live baby. You got to talk to a dad who had been learning to be a dad for like three to four months longer than you. And it was so invaluable. I was like, I want to do this. I want to be a part of this program. And so I connected with the, the instructor. I said, I, I want to come out. I want to bring our baby when they're born. I want to do that. And he was like, absolutely. And we schedule it and everything. Like I was set to go to the program and COVID hit like three weeks before I was scheduled to go. And so everything shut down. So all these connections that I expected to make with other parents after having our first kid, it just evaporated. It didn't happen. And TikTok became a really important outlet for that because there's this really vibrant community of parents on there who want to talk about what's going on with their kids, who want to talk about developmental milestones and challenges of being a parent. And I started posting content there partly because I missed the presentation, partly because I missed that social connection with other parents. And it really blew up from there. I did not expect the level of success that came along with it, just talking about things that I, I've learned, that I believe. But I'm really happy to see how much it's resonated with other people. That's meant a lot to me. And where did your content start? Like, I feel like what happens with people is they just post like random things initially, but then they kind of find their niche. So was your content when you started the same as it is right now? My my very first video, which I think went over 220,000 views, was me cleaning <laughs> out a coffee thermos. It was me cleaning out a thermos, which I... I, I was like, oh, no, you know, back then TikTok was very, it, it was very niche. And so it was like, oh, no, this is the thing that I have to post about until I die now. This is my account is cleaning thermoses. But because I missed being able to be a part of that dad class and sharing the things that I had learned with other dads, uh, I started making videos about like things I was learning along the way with an infant who became a toddler. And that was where I, I found a lot of success reaching other people. That to me was a really rewarding process because, you know, sometimes I would share something and someone would hop in the comments and they're like, I saw you have those grapes, but you should really quarter them because it's still a choking hazard. I was like, I had no idea until you said something. So I know it seems like a small example, but I don't want my kid to choke on grapes. Do you know what I mean? So being able to have big and small interactions with other parents online is a remarkably powerful tool, especially with the pandemic going on as long as it did. I mean, we really didn't have a break down here until right around the time that we decided that we were going to try and have a second child. And, you know, I, I think some much needed context that I haven't shared is my partner's an ICU nurse. And when COVID hit, she was a member of the flex team at her hospital, which means that, you know, and, and I think your husband's a urologist. Was that right? Yeah. Did I get that right? Okay, perfect. So with your partner being a physician, 
you know what it's like like <laughs> it can be really long hours it can be really tiring sometimes it can be really exhausting and emotionally draining and since she was on the flex team they put her in the area with the most need which was the covid hot zone and she went from seeing patients that you know needed critical care but you know she might see five or six patients passed in a year to literally almost every single person she interacted with, but one passed away in those first couple of months. And it was just terrifying for us. So we, we bubbled really, really hard because we were not worried about getting COVID from other people. We were worried about giving it to other people. So that was, I, I feel like I might have left that context out of everything, but that's part of the reason that we haven't like gone out and, and connected with as many folks outside of our initial bubble of friends and family was, I, I know we talk about lockdown and everyone's got their own COVID story, but ours was, it was a very strong lockdown in our house. And so you had your first, by the time quarantine started? Yeah, it was about three weeks beforehand. It was, I, I had been back at work or no, it was six weeks beforehand. I was back at work for like two weeks and then we went fully remote. My partner was still on parental leave. And she opted to end that early to go back because she felt guilty. I mean, you, you were looking at all these videos on the news and, you know, the stuff coming out of Italy in particular was heartbreaking because it wasn't just that they had a lot of patients, it's that their doctors and nurses and medical practitioners were also sick. And so she felt this tremendous sense of guilt and she went back a little bit early. But because she was like suiting up and going to these rooms and everybody she was working with was just dying because we didn't have vaccines, we didn't have treatment protocols, it was a brand new disease everything was still really new. Like it scared her, it scared us. And so Eleanor and I actually lived with Kelly's parents for about two, three months in there while Kelly was working in the hot zone, which was really difficult because I mean, <laughs> Eleanor, I think was like three months old at that point. And, you know, you're trying to build this relationship with your child. You're trying to connect with other parents and you can't do those things. It's not always, you know, at that point it wasn't safe to be around as many other people. And that was, that was really, really difficult. That was a huge sacrifice on her part. And I will literally never forget that. That was, it, it was a really hard mutual decision to come to. I don't think either of us regrets it, but it was, it was an incredibly difficult time to have to have like weekend visits where you can't even be that close or, you know, where it's like, should I even hold our baby? She was having to ask some really hard questions that, I don't think we considered and I'm glad things are better now. I'm glad we're vaccinated and boosted and, you know, we've got a much better handle on COVID, but those first couple of months, that first year in particular was very rough for us. That was really difficult. So I feel like I'm bringing the podcast down. That was kind of sad. No, no, it's, it's hard to think back to those first few months when Things were so unknown. Like you almost like forget about that time, you know? It's true. Yeah. It's because things are so very different now. But but yeah, I, I just like don't remember where we had gotten off on that tangent. But, you know, kind of looping back, that was where it, by that point when things started to settle and we started to get a better handle on COVID and whatnot, my account was already starting to take off. It was starting to connect with some other people and I found a lot of value in those connections with others. I still do. It's it's really nice to be able to connect with, you know, folks like you, Laura at that darn chat, you know, Mom Uncharted, some folks who are doing really important work. And it's it's really cool to be able to connect with, you know, like your mini heroes. Do you know what I mean? No, totally. And we're all from different areas. And so now I feel like I have friends 
like all over the place, you know, like that's a really nice feeling too. like like-minded friends that are also parents. And it's just so interesting. Once the world started to get back to normal, are you now doing TikTok and social media full time? Are you back at the job that you were at? Partly because of COVID, I took a, a different job during that time. I'm now fully remote. So I'm actually in my office right now. We moved into this house a couple of months ago. So my I, my background is not quite as nice as some of the other folks I've seen on the show. I can't remember her name, but it was the lady that you had interviewed about bedwetting a couple of weeks ago. And I, I can't remember oh, yes, her name yes, offhand. Carrie. But I, her background was amazing. It was, it was so nice. I was like, I'm not going to be able to... <laughs> To meet that right now, we've got the couch in the room, which is just a victory in itself. But I work remotely during the day, but this is still something that I devote a lot of time to. It it's sort of still my hobby at this point, but it's, it is starting to take more and more of my free time at this point. I don't know that I would ever quit my day job because I you know I want to make sure that I have some stability for my family, and it can be really inconsistent to do this. But I love creating content. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed.
Okay, I wanted to talk about fair play because I've talked about it a lot. I have the book. I had Laura that darn chat on the podcast before, and we talked all about like the division of labor stuff. So you were mentioning that you and your wife both went through fair play and you had some initial thoughts and reactions to the book. Now, my first question is, how did it even come about? Like, where did you hear about the book? Was it your wife's idea or your partner's idea? Was it your idea? Like, how did that come about? It, it was my idea. I learned about it through Laura's account. Truthfully, the, the more she talked about it, the more I was like, this seems like a really interesting method. And it wasn't that I was sitting over here thinking like, oh gosh, we're in horrible shape. You know, it's like the end of the world. Things are tense. It wasn't like that at all. It was just, it's really important to me to be a good partner. And I feel like an equitable division of labor that helps sort of nip resentment in the bud is a really important aspect of any long-term relationship. You know, like I, I don't want to be missing something or do something that my partner kind of drives her crazy. And over time it builds and builds. I don't want to do that. So eventually I got in the book, I got in the audio book first and I switched over to the actual book. Cause I realized once you get into the cards, the audio book is not very helpful <laughs> for reading out what the cards actually mean. And I had proposed the idea to her. Initially, she was a little hesitant because she's like, wait, do you think like we're in bad shape? It was like, no, 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 no. That's not it. That's not it. I just want to make sure that we're in good shape and we remain in good shape. That worked out really, really nicely. So we've treated it sort of like, I want to say like an oil change. I hope that doesn't trivialize it, but it's like relationships require maintenance. We see this as a really important part of maintaining our relationship to regularly check in, especially because, you know, I mentioned earlier, she's a nurse. So she's got that hospital schedule. It's like three 12-hour shifts. And she works nights. So four days a week, she's sleeping during the day. And that means that early in the week, she's primarily responsible for childcare. And then we switch over halfway through the week. So her folks help us out Thursday and Friday. But Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, the girls are all me. And so we constantly are backing or bouncing back and forth with our different household tasks, their different labor. And Fair Play has been a really helpful way, I think, for us to get on top of all of the things that have to happen for our household to keep running and to keep running smoothly. So uh, fair play has been, I, I think, a really incredible method. Like it's much simpler than I think people realize. It's not this big complex thing. I know that there are a lot of tasks, but the underlying concepts behind it are really straightforward. And I, I just, I don't see a downside to trying it in any relationship. I really don't. I'd be curious to know like what some of your thoughts are on fair play. I know you've talked about it a little bit before, but I know you're a really big advocate of it too. I would love to have Eve on the podcast, actually. I'm like so curious about her process, like how she came up with the idea and like her process for writing the book and creating the cards. I have read the book, but my husband has not. Like we haven't actually sat down and done the cards if I felt like we had any kind of issues with regard to division of labor, like I for sure would, but I am curious to try it and even just see like what comes up. When you say you did the cards, what did the process look like? Did you read the book? Then she read the book and then you guys sat down with the cards. I literally have them on my desk because we store them in here because otherwise our toddler will take them out and ruin our piles. Uh, <laughs> because... <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> 
toddlers are just balls of chaos and love. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I had read it first and then had like an extended chat with her to kind of introduce the idea. Since I had bought the book by then, in addition to the audio book, she read through it a bit. And then I got in the cards and we just, it, it's funny because in the book, they're like, okay, you know, start with your first session, just do like a five minute conversation, maybe look at one or two of the cards and then, you know, take a break, come back to it later. And it just clicked with us both so much that we tore through the whole thing in like two and a half hours to at least set up our decks. And I think, you know, the deck was one thing because I know one idea behind fair play is if it's a task, like one person is primarily responsible for that task, even if the other person ends up doing it from time to time. And we had, I think, 11 cards where we're like, I, there's not necessarily an owner of this task because it bounces back and forth between us so frequently. But what I found to be most helpful about those conversations and what I'm really looking forward to, because we still have plenty of conversation left to have, are the minimum standards of care within fair play. And it's just, in case that's an unfamiliar concept, I know you've talked about it on the show, but just in case, I don't want to accidentally mansplain fair play, but (laughs) in case anyone's unfamiliar with it, the idea behind a minimum standard of care is if either of you were to do that task, what's the bare minimum that would need to be completed for both of you to feel like it's been satisfactorily done. And having conversations about that is, I I found that to be the most valuable part of the process so far because, you know, one of the responsibilities that I have is trash. I think I actually did a TikTok about this. And we live in a more rural area, so there's no trash pickup. We have to take our trash to the trash pickup. So I'm usually the one who does that. And if I grab the trash from the kitchen, the recycling from the kitchen, I take it and I go and I come back, there's still trash in the house because I didn't go around to the bathrooms, didn't check the trash can in the office. There might be boxes that need to be broken down in the mudroom. And so you're actually missing a lot of stuff in there. And being able to have those conversations about what's involved in something as simple as just taking out the trash to make sure that A, that task is actually completed, but B, to the standards that both of you agree are shared standards, I think is a really important conversation to have. So I know that there are probably some folks listening to this who will be like, it's kind of silly to talk about the trash, but I don't think it is. I I think there's a lot there that you could talk about, even down to stuff like your dishes, you know? It's always the little things. Like it adds up because the little things are the things that you're doing constantly, day in and day out, week after week after week. And like when you were taught, like the minimum standard of, what was it, care? Minimum standards of care, yeah. Yeah. So it it makes me think about the laundry. Like my husband is all over the laundry all the time, but he will never, like he will fold the laundry, put it on top of the washing machine and the dryer downstairs. It's in the basement and it will stay there for three years. Like if (laughs) if I don't bring it up, it's like, (laughs) it's like, it's like all the clothes are clean, but I can't wear them because they're folded on top of the dryer. So I was explaining to him that to him the other day, like, can you finish the task and bring them upstairs and oh, even better, put them away. (laughs) But it's true. And then these things aren't talked about. And then it's like resentment, like you were saying before, like preventing resentment from building up and then being annoyed at each other. And yeah, it's nice to just get everything out on the table. Who's doing what? What does a task actually look like? When is it complete? And then you don't have to, you know, like make snarky little comments to each other all day, every day. And yeah. Yeah, that 
that passive aggressiveness can definitely be a death by a thousand cuts situation. So yeah, I, I love the idea of, of getting ahead of it, you know? Yeah. It's, it, it can just, I know that there are some folks who enjoy kind of like a, a combative repartee in their relationship, like that weird back and forth, but it's not really for me. It's not really for my partner. And so we just want to make sure that we're not causing any undue friction, you know? I know for me, like when I talk about that, like I get a lot of angry men in the comments of my content. Do you get the same thing? Yeah, it's it's very rare. In fact, I would be willing to bet that our follow demographics are also very different because it, it, someone asked a, a really great question a couple of weeks ago. And I can't remember their username, but it was something super inappropriate. And it was one of the best questions someone's asked me on TikTok. They basically said, I, I love your videos, but do you ever get frustrated that they don't seem to make it to the right audience? And it's like, yes, constantly. Because about by an 85-15 split, my followers are female to men. And so the folks that I actually want to reach with a lot of my content don't end up seeing it. And the ones who do show up in my content are, thankfully, there's been a growing number of guys who are like, yes, totally on board, same page, like guys who are slacking in that way. Like it's just they need to step up. But I do still get some folks in there who I'm like, oh, you know what? I, you're a delete and block situation, a delete and block situation. It does not come anywhere close to matching the toxicity of men who show up in your comments section which I've gone through several times and it is not a safe place to be sometimes. Like there are some really aggressive, unnecessary comments. I I think I actually video replied to a handful of them over the past couple of months. I know. It's just, uh, it is misogyny. I mean, let's, let's just put the cards on the table. It's misogyny. Like they're, they're not necessarily, I, I don't think that they're treating me with the same level of vitriol. If anything, I get dismissed as a simp. That seems to be the go-to. Oh, the beta. I forgot about the beta. So I add those to my blocked keywords, which really annoys them so much because they're like, what am I supposed to say now to to be derogatory? But it's not nearly as hostile as or as aggressive as I see in, you know, I know I, know I mentioned Laura earlier. So Laura's comments, your comments. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty bad. It's a, a pretty big misogynistic difference between the two. And it makes me wonder... Why are all these people being shown my video? Because they don't follow me. Like 90 some percent of my following is women. But then every time I have a TikTok where, like, for example, the one where I talked about when I asked my husband to not make pancakes on Saturday morning, like people lost their damn minds. Like, yes, it was that was a weird comment section. Yeah. It's always like, oh, this poor man, he's been working all week and all he wants to do is make his family pancakes on Saturday morning. And it's like, you're missing the point. But the TikTok comments, it's truly unbelievable. But thank you for video replying to a lot of them because it's very entertaining. And I love that. (laughs) I love when it's coming from another man that's like a father, like a working father. And because it's like, see, it's not just this like, People like to say that I'm like a toxic woman and all this stuff. It's like, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and honestly, I I try and be really careful with it because there's a fine line between giving the impression that I'm trying to white knight and that I don't think you can handle yourself, which is not the case, and trying to leverage the, the power and privilege that I have 
that I recognize that I have for for good. <laughs> and I, I always try and be careful with when to step in and, and when to hold off. But let me, let me put it this way. I, I, I will never be starved for content. And I don't, I don't know that you will be either. <laughs> <laughs> this is why people are always like, don't even give these people the time of day. Like you don't have to respond to these people. I'm like, yes, I do because it's free content ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I've seen competing uh, views anyhow. out there. There's some people who are like delete and block, and some are like, no. If I don't provide some friction to this, like then that idea gets to just exist there, and other people see it and it goes unchallenged. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. But you're right; it's also it's also free content. I mean, really, all they're doing is the opposite of what they want, which is giving you even more of a platform. Totally. Okay. One topic I wanted to talk to you about, which I'm very excited to have this conversation because my brain has not like formulated a strong opinion on this topic. So the topic is sharenting, which I have never heard of that term before, but I love it. And if people are listening and they're like, what is that? It's basically parents that run social media accounts where the majority of the content is their child or their children. And that's all the content is basically. So they're, you know, getting engagement and growing a following based on the content being their children. The mom Uncharted, like her account is incredible on TikTok. She has lots of like valuable information. I'm torn. I see the negatives like anything else in the world. I understand that there's parents out there that are completely exploiting their children. But then at the same time, I feel like there can be accounts where, and I've interviewed some of them, they have millions and millions of followers their children are like very into acting. They make little skits. They put them on TikTok. They have bank accounts set up. All the money that they get from like partnerships or whatever is in their accounts. And I have asked people about this issue and basically how they would defend themselves against people saying like you're exploiting your children. And their response was, Right now, they're very into acting. They want to do that as a career, but they're young. If when they decide they don't want to do this anymore, then they don't have to do it anymore. But if they turn, you know, they finish high school and they want to go to school to be an astronaut, they're set for life because of what we've been, you know, doing with them as children. I'm torn because I understand that. And then an argument is also... A lot of people put their children in very physical, dangerous sports, and their children are not of the age to consent and fully understand what the risks are, but they're out playing football, they're playing hockey, they're, you know. So is that any different? Like, I'm just so curious. Let's have a conversation. I love it. I, I do try and draw like a really clear line between, I would say, casually posting some something interesting about your kids and accounts that are dedicated to really exploiting their kids for views, for likes, for clout, for money. Because, you know, even I have occasionally posted photos of our daughter online. I originally, like, if you go back far enough, you'll even see Eleanor in some of the videos. I think I did one video where Adelaide was in the background, but she wasn't, like, a feature point necessarily. Although she did stare at the camera for, like, a good 20 seconds, so people were like, I couldn't pay attention. There was a baby. 
I think what we're talking about when we talk about sharenting and really like the far end of the spectrum are, again, those accounts that are devoted entirely to very young children who are much too young to actually consent to being a part of the process, where I would really love to see some progress being made. Because right now, when I talk about this, when, you know, the, when there are posts about it on the Mom Uncharted account, you can look through our comment section and it's a bunch of people saying, you're just being a nosy busybody trying to tell people how to live their lives. And it's not necessarily that. It's more, we want to make sure that kids are protected when they're put online. Because you're right, some of those family accounts do have millions of followers. And it raises a whole host of, I think, really big concerns about that child and their development. For example, they don't understand what the internet is, but there are now potentially hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people who have a parasocial relationship with that child. And and for the folks who are not as familiar with the parasocial term, it's essentially when you follow someone online so much and so closely that you think that you have a relationship with them and you don't, but you feel a sense of familiarity with that person because they're like a mini celebrity to you and you get to see so much about their day-to-day lives. That can be something that I think is a really big concern when it comes to small kids in particular and kids, because as they're growing up, what we're teaching them is one area where you can get a lot of validation from other people is by posting yourself online. And what are the long-term ramifications of that? What potentially dangerous situations might they end up in later because of that? So I know I said this at the beginning, but I do want to draw a fine line. I don't think that you know parents who occasionally say like, or post something online where it's like, this is my kid, they're amazing, I love being their parent. That's one thing. Accounts that literally turn their child into content on a recurring day-to-day basis, I think are an entirely different type of thing. And that's that's what I'm really most concerned about. If you don't mind me pivoting, long-term, again, I'm not trying to sit here and pass judgment on parents. What I would really like to see are more protections for these children, because essentially what they are is they are child actors but without any protections. They have no labor protections at all. So if we look at states with child actor laws like California and the U.S., there are laws in place that require a percentage of a child's earnings to go into an interest-bearing account that no one can access until that child turns 18. There are labor laws that dictate how long and when they can work. There are labor laws dictating what type of content they can be involved in. And none of that exists for the children in these spots. And I I know some folks jump in and they say like, well, you know, I know this family and they're putting money into an account. And I'm like, it's nice that they are doing that, but right now they're not required to. And no one's required to. So what protections does that child actually have? And, And that child lives with their boss. That child lives at work. So when do they get to say no? When do they get to step away? When do they get to resign if they want to? So I... I just want to like help add some context to the definitions there because it really is easy to look at this and go like, you know, it, Michael from the World Shaker account is saying that I can't post my kid online. And that's not what I'm saying. It's it's more like when the kid is regularly used for content and clout and money that I start to draw a line. And, and one thing that I really don't like, we're just like a month out from Halloween, is when some parents will deliberately try and scare or upset their children and then they post it online. And those are those are like a special type of bad. But yeah, I, sorry, I feel like I've been monopolizing the conversation here, but I, I obviously I feel really no. passionately about it. I want to be abundantly clear. Like if you post your kid online from time to time in a positive context and it's just you love being their parent, 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I really am not. My bigger issue comes from these accounts that really make their kid their content. If you were to take out every video that didn't feature their kid and they lose, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% of their content, it's too much. It's way too much. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. happy that you explained about the child actor laws because I wasn't sure about what those were. But you would think at some point, because like being an influencer, making money through like your social media platforms, like YouTube videos, there's kids on YouTube making, I'm sorry, like so much money. It's ridiculous. So Where are the laws for those things? And why is it taking so long to have anything put in place? I I think that's a really great question because you can look at these videos and the kids will often look like willing participants, but, you know, do they understand the concept of 1 million? (laughs) Do they understand that 1 million people watch their video or subscribe to their account? When they grow older, there are going to be a lot of people who feel like 
they have a familiar relationship with that child and they don't, but the child doesn't know that. So yeah, I, I think that's a, a really important question. My hope is that as more awareness builds around this issue, that that is where things shift to next. Because if people are making money off of their children and that is the goal of their social media account, I, I do think that there need to be some protections in place to make sure that that child is being treated fairly and not being put into unduly compromising positions, I would say. Let's talk a little bit about vasectomies because I was like, oh, that's such a perfect topic. My husband's a urologist, so he does vasectomies all the time. And I remember putting up a question box on my Instagram for adult urology questions because my husband and I were going to do an episode. So many people had questions about vasectomies. So you got a vasectomy, you said in July, what was your experience having it done? Because in my mind, like I hear stories from my husband and I'm like, oh my God, like some people go in there thinking it's like such a big deal. Like they're terrified, they're anxious. And I'm like, it's a good thing that women are the ones giving birth to children. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's true too. I I remember putting that on the list and feeling a little guilty because I'm like, it, it seems like a stereotype that every guy who got a vasectomy wants to talk about. It. But yeah, I, I was really happy to do that because uh, you know my partner and I talked about our family planning in in great detail, and we wanted to make sure we were on the same page. You know, my recollection is you and your partner are one and done over here. We are two and through, so we did not want yeah. any more. <laughs> Children in our life after that. So I had had the appointment scheduled before Kelly gave birth to Adelaide. So it, it was it was well in the works. So I, I joked that I was going to be the third patient at the hospital. And the whole procedure, it, it was very interesting to go through that process up to the procedure and after, and then compare it to a procedure that a woman might go through, like an IUD insertion. And just the level of care I received and how there were multiple appointments to answer all of my questions and walk me through the process step by step. And my doctor prescribed me two enormous Valium. I was supposed to take one an hour before the session and then like one after I got to the office to help me kind of like calm my nerves. And then there was plenty of topical anesthetic and lidocaine injections. And like the whole thing was... Such a smooth process. The absolute worst part about getting a vasectomy is you being in your head about the fact that you're going to get a vasectomy two days before it happens. So you spend those two days going like, I feel so uncomfortable. This is really, ah. And then you get into the office, it happens, you leave, and you're like, that was that was nothing. That was like, it, you can't even feel anything. There's a bit of like pressure and pulling. And then you're done. I was able to, I had my AirPods in. The whole time, they just let me listen to music. I, I get a little bit of white coat syndrome, so I get really nervous at doctor's offices. So there was a medical assistant who literally, like, <laughs> a little embarrassed admitting this, but she handed me, like, a, a wet washcloth to, like, put over my forehead so I could, like, calm down a little bit. And the whole thing was just, it was it was so easy. It was incredibly easy. Like, if anyone's on the fence, it is one of the easiest medical procedures that I could ever imagine happening. It was in and out in less than 30 minutes. And that was because we had to sit in the waiting room for like about 10 minutes or so. And yeah, it, it was so straightforward. The recovery time for me was a little bit longer than usual. Most folks recover in about three to seven days and they're they're back up and running. 
for us with our schedule, I had to go back to watching the girls about two and a half days later. So I was, I was lifting <laughs> a lot sooner than I should have been. So it took me about three weeks to recover, but it was just, it was incredibly easy. And I, I will admit, I felt a little bit guilty because my experience from a medical perspective related to my sexual health was very different from the experiences that I see women share on, on TikTok and Instagram. Yeah, my husband always jokes that he's going to do his own vasectomy. Like, he's just going to, like, just get her done. <laughs> but, okay, one of the things you mentioned was Dobbs' decision. What is that? Long story short, the Dobbs' decision was a case heard by the U.S. Supreme Court that effectively overturned Roe v. Wade. So it, it basically returned to states and said, state by state, you set your own laws related to abortion access. So if you ban abortion at the state level, then that's perfectly fine. Roe v. Wade established that abortion was nationally available. The Dobbs decision overturned that basically and and made it into a a quote-unquote states' rights issue. What that means is about half the states in the U.S. have severely restricted or completely banned abortion access. Okay. I've never heard the term Dobbs decision, but obviously, like, Our news in Canada is very much, like, it's very U.S. heavy. So I I knew all about this happening, but I had never heard the term Dobbs decision. So, okay, that makes sense now. Yeah, and it was a key part of my family plan. Like, we don't have room for a third. So, you know, I don't want to put my partner in a position where, you know, she would have to make a really difficult decision about her body because we're on the same page that we don't want another child. That's why it was a no-brainer for me to go get a vasectomy because it's like, I'm not going to ask you to get an IUD. Like she had a really painful experience with her first one. Didn't want to go through that again. I don't blame her. She also doesn't want to be on hormonal birth control for the rest of her life. So it was much easier for me to get a 20 minute vasectomy at my doctor's office. I didn't even have to go to the hospital. I was able to go to my doctor's office and a urologist there did the procedure, you know, down the hall from where I get like my flu shot. So (laughs) it was incredibly easy and it it just made perfect sense for my family. It's like, why would I put myself and my partner in a really compromising position? If our long-term plan is to not have any more kids, this is the easiest thing that I can do. I've heard horror stories about IUDs and it's like a 20 minute procedure versus like having a foreign body like in your uterus or, you know, for Lord knows how long and like birth control, same thing, like putting hormones into your body. It blows my mind the differences between, because I was on birth control for a long time before having Milo It's like a little white pill that you take every day, but the effects that it has on your body is unbelievable. So it was the same for us. Like after I had Milo, I was like, I don't want to go back on birth control. Like the side effects, just seeing how it changed my body. I was like, wow. So totally go get a vasectomy, everybody. My husband has like the wait lists here to get a vasectomy are like massive. Oh, wow. So it's a popular procedure. Mine was too bad. I had to schedule like four months out, but it wasn't too bad. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not bad. Last thing, just quickly, can we talk about our love of Bluey? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Bandit and Chili are absolutely goals. Uh, (laughs) I did not expect my silly TikToks about Bluey to turn me into the Bluey dad, but I just get tagged in so much stuff now. (laughs) Yeah, I... I did not expect to find such a great, unannoying kid show 
this early on. I've heard horror stories about stuff like Coco Melon that just, you know, kids love, but really great on the nerves of parents. And I know I've jokingly said this multiple times in comment sections of videos and things like that, but Bluey is, I, I'm convinced it's not a kid show. I'm convinced it's actually a parent show that kids actually enjoy. Do you know what I mean? Like there's so many episodes where they just demonstrate like a cute little game to play with your kids or a way to handle a situation. Or one thing that I really love that I've talked about is how elegantly and subtly they handle very difficult adult conversations on that show. They've dealt with bullying, with divorce. I think they've dealt with miscarriage. They've dealt with infertility. So there are a lot of really serious subjects that the show tackles in a way that makes sense from a kid's perspective, but also leaves every parent in tears. And I just, I'm, I'm so amazed at what a good show it is. I, I can't get enough of it. I really can't. Like, I remember there was an episode where the little budgie dies at the vet's office. And I was like, oh my God, like... But just, and then last night we were watching an episode because we watch Bluey every night before bed. And last night it was about like playing a game at a party and, you know, Bingo was never winning the prize, basically. He's just watching it thinking that he's being entertained. But in my mind, I'm like, he's learning like very key skills. You know, now if he goes to a birthday party and he doesn't, get something like this has already gone through his mind. And I I love that about Bluey. The other day, Milo was like, he was like, biscuits. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) I'm like, what did you just say? And he's like, biscuits. I'm like, who says biscuits? And he's like, Bluey's dad. (laughs) So I was like, oh, well, it's better than saying shit. Yeah, it's true. It's a nice little replacement swear there. Yeah. I think I literally have a, a, yeah. a mug that says, Oh, biscuits. So. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay. Well, this was a great conversation. It was so nice to meet you virtually. Maybe one day we'll get to meet in person at some like TikTok convention or something. Where can people find you online? And do you have anything that you're working on? Any ideas? Right now, the easiest place to find me is probably on TikTok. It's just world.shaker. I'm on YouTube now. I'm on Instagram. Pretty much all over the place. I think uh, the fastest, I think my link tree offhand, if I'm trying to go off of memory, is beacons.ai slash worldshaker. And that has a link to all of my platforms there. So I do have some stuff in the works, which is really exciting. I had always wanted to work with new dads, like I mentioned earlier. So I'm going to be developing some materials for new fathers in terms of what to expect, not just leading up to the baby, but in the delivery room, in recovery, in those first three to four months, because I, I really appreciate people sharing knowledge with me and I want I want to return that favor. So I'm looking forward to doing that over the next couple of months. In the meantime, just making some longer form content on YouTube. I love that. Well, when you have this content or, you know, information for new dads, you have to come back on the podcast and share about it because I love, that's the best idea. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. This is like, I know we've gotten to interact over, you know, TikTok and occasionally on Instagram, but this has been really, really wonderful. I love talking with you, parents of parents. I really appreciate that. 
it's nice to have more FaceTime to kind of learn a little bit more about you. I only get to see like the TikTok, Instagram stuff. So it's always nice when you form like a better connection with someone. So thank you so much for inviting me on. I really do appreciate it. This has been really great for me. I, I it's, it's been a great experience. So thank you so much. Thank you.